Amen. Thank you again so much for being here this morning. Um, no boxes on stage this week. Uh, no, no, uh, no visual illustrations. Um, I think. Uh, thank you for the kindness. A few people mentioned last week that that kind of helped make the point and kind of bring some things out in clarity. Uh, if you didn't get a chance to to check it, uh, be here for the sermon or listen to it last week, uh, I would encourage you to go back and listen to it. Just because uh, kind of the two lanes that we traveled in either um, struggling dealing with someone else's past or maybe struggling to deal with our own past, um, really hopefully what you saw come out of that was um, as, as we started with a wall on this side of the stage that kind of showed and highlighted some things from our past, we see how um, really Acts shows what does it mean to live with Jesus in us, the Holy Spirit. So as we, as we turn those around, um, I, I really hope that and pray that you saw that set of steps and kind of that journey um, that, that Jesus wants to lay out for us. That, that is, um, here, here's what it means to live for Jesus, uh, to live with him, uh, to find identity, to watch what God is doing, um, to make disciples, which is an unavoidable, unchangeable mission of God, um, to be involved in someone else's growth as much as we are investing in our own, and then ultimately just to remain faithful. It's, it's, it's the top step, but it's the step that we stay on and remain on, and there's a lot on that stair, um, but, it, but it's, a, it's an amazing place to be. Um, in our relationship with Jesus, so um, thank you for um, for that for that kindness. Uh, but to be honest with you, I, I, I told a couple people this week. I, I don't know two weeks in a row if, if my ADHD could can actually contain itself enough to be able to use boxes or visual illustrations um, and move them around that much. That that was that makes my head hurt. Um, so I'm I'm gonna try just to be right here this week. Um, I want to ask you a question before we get started. Um, what would it take? What do you feel like it would take? Um, and, and don't answer this out loud, um, just kind of to yourself. Um, what do you feel like it would take to really change your mind about someone? Now, I don't, I don't mean just the people that we kind of see and pass and interact with casually. I mean, really someone that you feel strongly about. Um, particularly, maybe you've had issues with in life. Really, what would it take to change your mind? Um, to really change maybe how we act towards that person, how we think about that person. What kind of significant things would need to happen to really change our perspective? Because this week, and, and we're not going to read uh, the entire set of Scripture because the story actually is, it sounds like it's, it's actually on repeat because it may be tough for us, but, but hopefully that question would help us this morning because for, for the people that would have listened to this account when it was really first written, and, and even people that were experiencing it, the things that go on in chapters 10 and 11 are so difficult to swallow. I think the, maybe the closest thing that we could really kind of tie into our lives is to really, come, really have that person come to mind or that people group come to mind that we have just maybe such an angst against or we just have such difficulty over to really say, okay, what would it take to change my mind about someone that I feel a certain way so passionately about? And maybe that passion really comes out in sometimes, even if it's just in our thoughts, or really a negative form. Um, that's really what's lived out, and it's deep-seated. I mean, it's not just in, in really we're going to see a lot out of Peter's life. It's not just in Peter's lifetime. This goes back generations and generations and generations. This has been instilled in him. Um, this, is, this is something that's really just part of his mental DNA. And I believe that when we just really leave our minds and our thoughts unchecked, 
sometimes when it comes to how we think and see and feel about people, it can become, those thoughts can become a very real part of our DNA. And, and on that level, when it just becomes so ingrained in what we think, it's pretty difficult to change. I mean, I think in, in, in theory, I'd like to say, hey, you know, whatever God would speak to me about, I mean, I'd jump on board with really quick. But if I really kind of opened up the application of that in my life, I see where sometimes my tendency is to not move as quickly, um, especially when it may come to, to kind of hard times with people. Um, maybe I don't move off my position quickly enough. Um, you're probably better people than that. Um, but, but if you'll listen with me to this, uh, this story this morning, this passage, uh, I believe God's going to really help us to consider what would it take to really change our perspective. Um, we're going to be in chapters 10 and 11, um, kind of a unique story. Um, two of the main people that are involved initially are, we're going to see a guy named Cornelius come into this picture. Uh, and if you're not normally here with us or if you're listening online, we're, we're studying through the book of Acts. We started um, quite a while ago. We took a little break around Easter, and there's, an, uh, there's another series that we're going to jump into, not too distant future, that we're going to take another break from, um, the book of Acts. But we're really walking through this to see what does it mean to live with Jesus in us. Um, I want to I talk about Cornelius for a second. I want to read to you verses 1 and 2 because this gives a pretty great opening um, example of really who he is, kind of gives some characteristics, some reference point. It says, there was a man in Caesarea named Cornelius, a centurion of what was called the Italian regiment. He was a devout man and feared God along with his whole household. He did many charitable deeds for the Jewish people and always prayed to God. Cornelius was a little bit of an enigma. So if you just took him by his job, if you just considered his job only, He's in the military, he's a centurion, so that means he's in charge of about a hundred soldiers, but not just peacekeeping soldiers. These are, this, is, this is a Roman um, militia, that, or this is a Roman military form, so, so just the fact that he's in the military and he's over a hundred soldiers, this is the same government that invented crucifixion. They were looking to dominate and control everything from politics to culture um, to allow for religions, but really only include the ones that they wanted to mention and include in, in, in some of their centers, um, they, they really oppressed the Jewish people, which Peter was one of, even though he's a Christian now, he still has that heritage. So, so just by job, he represents someone who is bringing a hardship in life that somebody like Peter and, and other Jews at this time were not just going to, they're not just ready to just open their hearts to him. But he's more than just a job. It says that he was a devout man. In fact, when you read this description, if you continue reading about him, even as an angel of the Lord appears to him, um, when you, if you go down even through verse 6, there's three things that, that Jews practiced um, that kind of represented their piety, uh, prayer, almsgiving, and fasting. Specifically, two of those three, it mentions that, that Cornelius did on a regular basis. He was called a God-fearer. So in, if you look in Old Testament times, um, sometimes in the New Testament we have this term come up, someone that's called a God-fear. Um, they haven't, um, God-fear had a, little, a lot more of a look back into, into Judaism. It was somebody who recognized that the God that was worshipped by the nation of Israel was the one true God. Um, they began uh, their prayer to him, their worship of him, but, but as a God-fear, it was kind of like, hey, I recognize God pretty correctly, but I haven't gone through this religious right process to be included 
in the nation of Israel as, as far as worship goes and customs and sacrifice and all that stuff. So it's kind of a specific title, but still kind of like dipping your toe into the water, but really one, one full step still outside the family. So that's who he was, maybe we would say spiritually. But it, but it wasn't just that. Socially, look at, look at how he did. He started already seeing this nation of Israel as people that he needed to care for. I mean, as a, as, a, as a centurion, to have that level of authority, for him to be doing generous and charitable things for those that were Jews was, was a huge, it seems, contradiction to what you would assume about him. I mean, he was giving his own money, money that came from a government that, that persecuted Christians and Jews both. He was giving of his own money just in charitable ways just to help them out. And, and to this person, the Lord comes to him in, in the form of an angel, and, 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 and the angel speaks, and he tells Cornelius, he says, listen, there, there's somebody that I want you to go send for, and his name is Peter. He tells him what city Peter's in, he tells him whose house he's staying in. So he, he says, basically, he's on, he's on the coast, and he's at a, a, a guy, another guy named Simon, because that's Peter's first name too. But, it, but he said he, he's at Simon the Tanner's house. So um, that made him understand who he was, what, what, what the job the guy had. So if they go into this area, and they just basically say, hey, listen, I'm looking for a guy that works with animal skins and, and tans them and works with leathers and stuff like that. His name is Simon. He lives on the coast. Oh, yeah, there's only one of those guys. He's right over there. I mean, God sets a very specific target in front of Cornelius to go send for Peter. Interestingly, Peter being someone who, even though Jesus taught him lessons, even though Jesus showed him many things, even though he heard all the great commandments and big ideas of the kingdom of God, Peter still was having a difficult time in how he saw this big group of Peter. I mean, this, this big group of people. So when when you really think about what, what was he charged with, and, and I think this is really interesting how God does this. God doesn't leave the target, especially if you've ever had a tough time with a large group of people because you just feel like there's a certain people with certain ideals that you, you struggle with. It's interesting how God works. He doesn't just say, hey, here's you got to figure out how to deal with a million people or a hundred people. He says, I want you to deal with one person. I want to put you face-to-face with somebody that makes this more personal. And, and whether your issue has ever been with a group of people, a company, um, a, a workforce, or just a family, or one person, God always wants to break this down in our life when it deals with people face-to-face, one-on-one. That's, that's the way that we see the most significant change happen, I believe, in our hearts when it comes to people. Now, um, he, he gives them this vision, and he doesn't just give the vision to Cornelius. God also comes to Peter and gives him a vision as well and speaks to him. And, and I think that's so great because if, if we're really struggling with someone, we're really trying to say, okay, God, how can my heart change towards this person? One thing that we always have to remember, if it's God who is working, he's not, he's not often going to work just in one person. God always works this from both ends. I mean, some of the most difficult relationships in this world start with Kind of this eye-opening realization, hey, God hasn't just started working in my heart, but, but we start to hear that he's working in someone else's. We may not see the bridge that connects us yet. We may not realize how in the world could we ever be at peace with this person or this people, but we start to see there's evidence of God, not just in me, but in someone else. And that goes back to seeing someone's kingdom potential. We talked about that last week. So 
as we see this, um, Peter has this vision. Now, he's, Peter's, um, Peter's out um, doing ministry, basically just gets really hungry, and at the time he gets really hungry, while food is being prepared, he goes into something like a trance. And what he sees in this is what he says looks it's as if it's a huge sheet. Now, in the language, it sounds like what we've heard before in the book of Acts, um, that the, uh, when the Holy Spirit came, it was as it was like tongues of fire. It, it sounded like a mighty rushing wind. The vision here is, is being put in terms that we can try to grasp it. We don't know exactly what it was, what it looked like, but basically, if you can just kind of picture this, it's, it's a huge, imagine just a huge sheet that contained in it um, every kind of animal that had four legs, every kind of reptile, I mean, just tons of stuff, and, and it's lowered and opened, and, and in one statement, God says to Peter, verse 13, he said, a voice said to him, get up, Peter, kill and eat. Now, if, you, if, if up to 50% of your clothing is camouflaged, this is like your life's verse. This is like every Brown Summit boy's dream. Like God says, kill and eat. Like that's my confirmation. I got to hunt something down. I got to shoot something. Got to skin it and eat it. At this moment, he hears this, and, and Peter just totally objects and says, no. Says, no, the Lord. Based on what? Peter's explanation is, no, Lord, I, I can't just go eat this stuff because I've never done that. I've never put stuff that you've said is, is not for me to eat in my mouth. See, Peter was still, and he, you, you think it's tough wrestling with, man, how do I live like a saved person with Jesus inside of me? Peter was trying to figure that out, and then at the same time still live up to the 600 and some laws that he had been taught from the Old Testament. See, as God gave law in the Old Testament, and I think if you've ever been a parent, you'll understand this, God gave law before he gave grace. Because if, we, if, you, if you lead with grace with somebody, what happens? Abuse of grace. They oftentimes can't handle it. As humans, we need some structure to be able to really handle grace well. Freedom, right? We need some structure to be able to handle that well. So, that's how God began. He said, okay, here, here's the law. Now, the whole purpose of the law was not to say, hey, if you live exactly this way, you're good. The purpose of the law was for God to help his people see, hey, I'm calling you, I'm setting you apart. I, I want you to live differently than other people because I'm going to be working through you. And, and, and when people don't know me, they may start to even get an idea of me because they see a difference in your life. You know, that's the great sin when it comes to buying into a set of do's and don'ts when it comes to religion. you got to do this and do this and you can't do this and you can't look like this. When, when, we, when we buy into those things, we're counting on those things making us holy enough to be good enough for God. If you go to Matthew 15, Mark 17, Mark 7, Matthew 15, um, it, it records the same teaching from, from Jesus. Jesus said, hey, listen, it's not what you put in your mouth that defiles you. It's actually what comes out of your mouth that defiles you. See, Jesus was, was really helping people see, yes, the law, the law was, was good. I mean, it was good because it was from God. It enforced this idea that, that people that follow God are called to, to, to be set apart for his use. And, and there, was an, there was an organized process to being able to live that out. But Jesus said, look, ultimately, God is after your hearts. And that's always the struggle with people. No matter if you live by rules or you live by no rules, it's always the heart. And Jesus said, listen, what's in the heart ultimately comes out of the mouth. And it's what's in the heart 
that's sinful or holy. If you think, okay, just because I'm getting the rule right of what I put in me, Jesus was saying, hey, listen, that's not bad in a sense, but it's not the good that you think it is. So he shows this image to Peter, and Peter says no. And, 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 and the Lord responds with this statement. After a second time he shows him this, the voice said to him, what God has made clean, do not call impure. So God does this whole big illustration in this vision three times. Three is, um, in, in Scripture often is showing us um, that, that, that there's a completion of this, that there's a repetition that's really meant for us to get the point. In fact, uh, one of the reasons I'm not reading all of chapter 10 and 11 is because th these stories about how these appearances happen are on repeat about three times so that the people hearing really hear the seriousness of what God's trying to say here. So, the statement, don't call impure what I've declared to be pure. I think on some level, Peter, Peter's hearing this and he's starting to think, mm, is God just talking about food? And I know if you've read this story, you, you know that he's not. I do want to um, read this. Verse 17 says, while Peter was deeply perplexed about what the vision he had seen might mean, Right away, the men who had been sent by Cornelius, remember, so Cornelius saw his vision, and he sent three people off to go get Peter and ask him to come to his house. Right away, the men who had been sent by Cornelius, having asked directions to Simon's house, stood at the gate. They called out asking if Simon, who was also named Peter, was lodging there. While Simon was thinking about the vision, the Spirit told him, three men are here looking for you. Get up, go downstairs, go with them with no doubts at all, because I have sent them. In this story, it doesn't take long to figure out. It's not Peter who's going, you know what, I just, I just really need to treat people better. It's not Peter going, hey, you know what, I need to figure out how to give others second chances more often, or third or fourth or fifth chances. It's not, it's not Cornelius going, you know what, I, man, I just love people. I just want to be so accepted by them that I'm just really willing to just absolutely um, take their criticism uh, but just really keep extending grace. When it really comes to bringing two people who see each other very differently together, it's a total work of God. Because I don't know about you, but when I have experienced in my life when I let my hurt speak the loudest, if I let my bias really speak up and voice itself, when my feelings really are what are kind of leading the way, I'm, I have enough within me that's hard enough to get over, much less actually go to that person in love and in kindness and start trying to build a relationship there. And I think it's just so amazing to see that God is doing so much of this work himself because his mission is to bring people together, but he also, in, in knowing us, realizes how difficult it is sometimes just to get two people to begin to really fellowship together because of the events that have gone on in life and, and, the, and, and the things from their past. Um, these, Peter goes down. Um, he, he introduces himself. Um, he asks them. Um, after identifying himself, he says, you know, why, why are you here? And then these guys at this moment, they start telling Peter, the vision that Cornelius has had. And in culture specifically, it's, it's really impactful to see three people come to this because basically this is a validation that, hey, we're telling the truth. 
So Peter hears this and he's like, holy cow, you know, God has just shown me this vision. It, it seemed like it was about animals, but I kind of felt deep down in my soul he was really speaking to me about something else. Um, because I think God is so good at that. I believe he is in my life. He begins to kind of um, um, start the conversation uh, in, in ways that, that draws me in. And then, I kind of, then you kind of feel a little bit of that right hook come at you because you're like, oh, I probably wouldn't have come into this conversation. I really wouldn't have opened my heart or opened my mind up, God, to think the way you want me to think um, if I just knew what you were up to the whole time. So, so God, in a perfect way, draws Peter in. And at this moment, he hears this and he's going, holy cow, from what God just showed, showed me, I, I can't do nothing right now. So... Peter extends a welcome invitation. He invites them into his house. This in itself is, is pretty, pretty amazing. Pretty amazing. This is not really culturally accepted. But Peter extends the invitation. So number one, I, I want you to consider this. This is kind of the first step that we see um, to really recognize, okay, God, you, you're, you're really opening my heart and you're working in my heart towards a person or towards a people. Number one, one of the most often things we see at the beginning is a, a real distinctive contradiction. We kinda, we are, the contradiction really grabs our attention. Now, for Peter, the contradiction was, hey, here's a guy who I should just not associate with. I mean, historically, religiously, we should not go to. Like, they were on the outside, we're on the inside. But there is some evidence in his life. There are some things that he's recognized for that I just can't argue with. There's some things that are telling me, is, is he as bad as, as I imagine the whole group of people? Is he, are his motives as evil as maybe what Peter would assume they were? Or is something else happening? Sometimes we hear something from someone that we've really had an issue with in life. We hear them tell a story. We hear them talk about something God's doing in their life. We, we hear something. And, and we hear it and we go, our first instinct is almost like, come on, I don't want to hear that. Because it's, it, it defies how our heart feels about them. But we hear it, and then maybe God presses in on our spirit a little bit, and we're like, I, I don't really think there's a chance that person's changing. I don't really believe there's a chance they could fully change. But it's a contradiction. Sometimes the contradiction is in us. We felt so strongly about somebody, but all of a sudden, out of nowhere, we're kind of opened up to this thought of, should I be more forgiving to them? I mean, should I really seek God over how I'm thinking and feeling about this person or these people? And the contradiction sometimes doesn't start with them. Sometimes it starts with us. But I believe as, as Christians, if we see that kind of contradiction, then we've got, we've got to stay in on it. We, we can't run away from it. We have to see, again, we have to watch for what God is doing. Now, um, the next verse simply tells us that, that Peter um, and some of the brothers from where he was staying, so he takes some, a, a group with him too, I imagine probably at least three, because again, this is about validating the truth. This is a new experience for Peter. He gets up and he starts to head out to where Cornelius is to do the second thing, investigate. See, investigation into something, especially when we're trying to build a bridge between us and someone else, investigation is dangerous because if we start out as a 100% as a skeptic, I found in life I will, I will find the evidence that I'm looking for if I'm biased enough. Have you, have you ever noticed that about yourself? 
If, you, if you're skeptic enough, you can find the evidence you want to find to feel and believe and think the way you want to feel. I think that's pretty easy, in fact. But we have to investigate with as best we can as open eyes and open hearts as possible. Peter arrives at Cornelius' house. Cornelius, just in the excitement that he sees God working in his life and bringing this vision to, to life, he, in fact, bows down at Peter's feet. Peter gets him up. He's like, look, man, I'm, just, I'm a guy like, just like you. Don't be bowing at my feet. So he, he, he asked him, he said, okay, you've sent for me. Tell me why. And Cornelius starts his story again. And, and in fact, Peter, um, you, you can see just the internal struggle. I just want to read verses, um, verse 28 to you. Peter said to them, You know it's forbidden for a Jewish man to associate or visit a foreigner. But God has shown me that I must not call a person impure or unclean. That's why I came without any objection when I was sent for. So may I ask you why you sent for me? Peter's really struggling. But first of all, can I tell you something? Peter says it's, he said it's, um, it's forbidden for a Jewish man to associate with or visit a foreigner. Can I just tell you this? It wasn't. It wasn't. That was, a, that was a jump. And this is what I mean by jump. Okay. So if you took the Old Testament law, and there were some laws of, of here's the things you can't eat or can't touch or you're considered unclean. Well, to go and visit or to eat with or to fellowship with someone who didn't live by that same law it would be difficult to know that you could avoid the things that you were supposed to avoid to remain ceremonially clean. It would have been really challenging. It would have been really hard. You would have been the person going a million times to the bathroom to wash your hands. Like, I mean, it would have just been really difficult. You would have had to say, like, I can't eat that. I can't eat what's prepared with it. Because, again, you were called to, to, to live separate, to be recognized that there's something unique about you. But it wasn't your diet. It was the God that you worshipped. That was the message they were supposed to get around to. So to, so to say that it was forbidden, like he just couldn't go, is not true. It really became forbidden in their minds because it was really a wouldn't or, or don't want to in their hearts. So Cornelius begins to explain in detail the vision that God has shown him. And, and as Peter's hearing this, He's hearing the fact that this is the Lord speaking to him. He's, he's, talk, he's talking about the things that God had seen in his life. He, he's, he's opening up his heart, and, and he begins to see the very thing that he was investigating for, this thing called evidence. Now, with evidence, we have to decide when, when, when we see it, is that going to be enough for me to begin to act and think differently towards another person or a group of people? And that's a tough question to answer. It's a tough question to answer because many times we would say this, hey, I, I, could, I, could really, I could really build a relationship with this person. I could really have conversations with him or I could go and listen to what this group of people are really saying if I knew really that they had changed. How do you know that? Like how do you know that somebody has changed? Because really what we're saying is if you've changed enough to satisfy me, then I would be glad to like you again. But how do we know that that's, in fact, the change that they needed to make? How do we know if they've changed? What change really looks like? What it really means? So is evidence that God is working enough? Well, I'll tell you this. The evidence of what Peter heard was enough for him 
to start sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now, again, this is another one of these stories where we don't know when Cornelius gets saved as we would term it. We know that he was already on his way to becoming a, um, a certified religious right Jew. So we know that his, his view of God was there. We know that God was speaking to him. We know that his belief was true. It was enough belief for him to act in his life the way that he was acting. So somewhere in here he gets saved. But what we're getting ready to see is, is what comes along with the gospel. Remember back, we, we started the early side of Acts, um, the Pentecost, where the Holy Spirit came in, but it was only to a crowd of Jews, people that were kind of already inside that proverbial family of God. But then recently we saw that there was a group of Samaritans, people that had a mixed background, Jewish and Gentile. And we see the Samaritan Pentecost where the Holy Spirit comes in there. This, we're getting ready to see, is what we call usually the Gentile Pentecost, that we see God's Spirit working the same way again, showing that this is the work that I'm doing inside of them. I want to read several of these verses. Um, verse 34 in chapter 10, Peter began to speak. Now, I truly understand that God doesn't show favoritism. See, that was one of the biggest things he wrestled with. Um, is God showing favoritism or favor? And you may have wrestled with that before. It seems... You know, what's God's heart, really? He calls people into salvation, but we, we also see evidence in this world that all people don't receive Jesus. They don't, they don't commit their lives to follow him. We see in the Old Testament that he called a nation of, of one group of people to, to, to live, for, live for him and, and for him to really live through them and, and to work in their lives for other people to see him. Please don't mistake favoritism and favor when it comes to God. Favor is, is really a word we could substitute for grace. God's goodness just shown on people as a reflection of who he is. Favoritism would be like this. God going out and saying, I choose you, but not you. Peter writes it very eloquently himself later in his life. That God is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. God's heart is for everyone. Salvation is his favor that we have a way to know him. Favoritism would be him choosing that someone would never know him. By his will and his desire. And that's not God's desire. But in every nation, the person who fears him and does what is right is acceptable to him. He sent the message to the Israelites proclaiming the good news of peace through Jesus Christ. He is Lord of all. You know the events that took place throughout all Judea, beginning in Galilee, after the baptism of John preached how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power, and how he went about doing good and healing all who were under the tyranny of the devil because God was with him. We ourselves are witnesses of everything he did in both Judea, the Judean countryside, and in Jerusalem, and yet they killed him by hanging him on a tree. God raised up this man on the third day and caused him to be seen, not by all the people, but by us whom God appointed as witnesses, who ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead, he commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that he is the one appointed by God to be the judge of the living and the dead. All the prophets testify about him that through his name, everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins. While Peter was speaking these words, the Holy Spirit came down on all those who heard the message. The circumcised believers who had come with Peter were amazed. That simply is just a reference point of saying, okay, these were Jews who had received Christ, now witnessing people that they saw as very much outsiders receiving Jesus. They were amazed because the gift of the Holy Spirit had been 
poured out even on the Gentiles, for they heard them speaking in tongues and declaring the greatness of God. That's the exact same thing that Peter and the apostles and all those when the Holy Spirit first came down experienced. And it's what others heard was, was when they were speaking in tongues, they were giving glory to God in other languages. They saw looking almost like it felt like in the mirror to, at their own experience, but they're seeing it in the lives of people that they never thought they would ever relate to. You know, when, when we're really struggling with how we change our mind about someone, how we begin to reach out to someone that we haven't ever had a desire to, maybe it's not just one person, maybe it's a family or a group of people. Have you ever just kind of woken up to this thought? You know, it's, it's pretty selfish for me to think that really God is, is going to work in my heart and, and, and change me for his good, but not do the same thing for them. That's kind of usually where I hit my wall with someone. I get so consumed with what I want God to do in my life, or I expect him to do it in my life, but then I don't give enough credit. God, there's no way you love me more than you love them. You don't play favorites. You want to show your favor in their life as rich as you show it in mine, so why is my heart the one that's so hard and so closed off to them when your heart is reaching out for them so well? So at this point, it says, then Peter responded, can anyone withhold water and prevent these people from being baptized who receive the Holy Spirit just as we have? He commanded them to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. Then they asked him to stay for a few days. So here's the point where we see this fourth step. After we've seen evidence, God calls us to begin to participate in agreement with what he's doing. Ugh, that's hard, isn't it? Because again, the question is, is evidence enough? If someone called and said, hey, listen, can we talk? God, I feel like God's put some stuff on my heart. Or someone offers an apology for something that really, there is no apology that would ever fix it. If we see evidence that God may be speaking to them, is that evidence enough for us to participate in agreement with what God's doing? I mean, I, I realize, yes, Peter saw the, the working of the Holy Spirit, and that was powerful because he had experienced it. And sometimes that's what it is. We, we hear words from somebody. We hear, we hear them share their heart, and we say, you know what? God has worked in my life when I was in a very similar situation. So, so really, I, I have to believe that he's doing the same kind of thing in you. To participate in agreement is a big step. Because does, to participate in agreement, does that mean that all of our questions are answered? Nope, I don't believe so. Does that mean we won't be tempted to go back and think, mm, have they really changed? Is this really real? Should I be doing this? Should I open myself up like this? I believe that we can participate in agreement and, and those things actually might not all be resolved yet. But again, remember, if we see that if we look at this as something that God is doing, then the responsibility is on his shoulders, not on mine. Because I can't start participating in an agreement and think, okay, all right, you got two more chances or one more chance, or if I mess this up or I don't feel like this is good for me, then I'm out. If God is doing it, then I'm not just participating with this other person. I'm participating with the Holy Spirit that is in me. I'm actually moving in rhythm with him. So that's what I've got to focus my mind and my thoughts on, not saying, hey, how do I build this bridge with this person or these people in my life? Because I won't be able to do it well enough. But if I'm in agreement and in participation with what Jesus is doing, that I'm simply walking on the ground that he's laying out, the bridge that he's building, the connections that he's making. 
Verse 11 starts, I mean, chapter 11 starts, and, it, and, and, and this is just kind of a crazy scenario. Um, I want to read uh, this, verses 2 and 3. So word got back to these people who believed a lot like Peter, thought a lot like Peter. They didn't understand why in the world would you go and talk to this guy named Cornelius who has this job that we don't like, and, and he's you know, part of a, a nation that we don't like. And, and in fact, Cornelius was even in an area that was incredibly um, targeted towards, did that just flash blue for a second? That was totally distracting. Again, ADHD wins again. We know, why would you do this? Why would you be on board with this? And, and they really want to question this. Verse 2 in chapter 11, when Peter went up to Jerusalem, the circumcision party, you'll see that term pop up um, several times in the New Testament. It's not an actual party like you bring finger foods to. Um, it was a group of people, um, and it's really not the best name for a party. Um, I, I don't know that you would like, be able to really put that on a, like a sign-up sheet at church and be like, hey, join my club. Um, it's, but it's who they were. Um, the circumcision party criticized him, saying, you went to uncircumcised men and ate with them. Basically, you went and hung around with the wrong people. They saw themselves um, as the religious elite, the righteous people in their own minds and their own hearts. They looked at Peter, someone who was, was an apostle, that they knew how Jesus had worked in his life. And they looked at him and said, you're wrong based on who you went to spend time with. Have we forgotten that Jesus was criticized for the exact same thing? That Jesus' game plan for the world was to make disciples and his strategy was to go in the concentric circles of life all over the world? These people were unavoidable. They had to make it to them. But the question still was, why did you do it? Because again, our hearts and our thoughts will defy the bridges of connection that need to be made between us and others in this world. Especially when the, when the gospel purposes become clear. Our feelings and our biases and our hatreds will keep us from, from really going to one single person or a family or a larger group of people to say, hey, let's really talk about what Jesus is doing. And really see the, the full picture of that. So Peter basically blames God. He basically puts all the blame on the Holy Spirit. He says, look, this is what happened. This is how God came to him, spoke to him. This is how God showed up and spoke to me. I went and, doggone if I didn't see the evidence. I saw a contradiction, so I pursued it. I went to investigate, and I saw the same evidence that we saw back when the Holy Spirit came into our lives. So as he explains all this, and he tells him, in fact, you can start reading in verse 15. He says, as I began to speak, the Holy Spirit came down on them just as on us at the beginning. He said, I remember the word of the Lord, how he said, John baptized with water, but you will baptize with the Holy Spirit. If then God gave them the same gift that he also gave to us when we believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, how could I possibly hinder God? Hmm. That's a different perspective. How in the world can I change my mind about somebody? about a people. How can I change my mind? Maybe the question really is, how can I get in God's way on this? Like, why would I even risk that? You ever thought about it like that? I don't know that I have nearly enough times. God, if you're working and I hold this grudge or I hold this hatred, I hold this anger, God, I'm, I'm in your way. 
I'm stuck in the middle of something you're doing, and I'm an obstacle. I want to read a few things to you, because again, some of these statements, I hope, keep us on this mindset. The Holy Spirit isn't this thing, this it that's out there working. It's a person. It's a who. So a a person we can talk to, we can agree with, um, we can work with, we can have them influence us, if that makes sense. That's how we can interact with a person. So we've got to always think about the Holy Spirit as a person. So I want to read a few things to you. Um, here, here's a dangerous point. If we want to be blessed more than we want to, cha- to be changed, we'll walk against the Holy Spirit. Did you hear that? Like if really what I want is blessings more than I really desire change in my life, then I'm going to end up at some point unavoidably being against what the Holy Spirit is doing. Wouldn't that change our prayer lives? If we prayed as passionately for change inside of us as we, tr- as we pray for blessings to come into our life around us. So the Holy Spirit's ministry, this is a, state, this is a, a quote from J.I. Packer. Um, the Holy Spirit's ministry is to mediate, in other words, to, uh, to bring um, onto both sides, bring some agreement on both sides, to mediate the presence of of Jesus in the lives of his people. So basically, the Holy Spirit's job is, is, is to say, okay, all that Jesus is and all that you are, I'm going to bring you together, and, and, and really Jesus is what's going to win in every situation. He said, I'm going to bring him into your life and make him real in your life. So to do that, the Holy Spirit's strategy is to change us and to change the world through us. So we, we, when we say, hey, we want the world to change, well, we can't jump to step B before we deal with Jesus on step A. Jesus, you need to change me before you're really able to use me to, to be a vehicle for change around me. And that's what the person of the Holy Spirit is up to. The, whole, the Holy Spirit's primary language, a pastor, a um, friend of mine says this often. I, I love it when he says this. Um, the Holy Spirit's primary language is conviction and guidance. So you say, how do, how do I know if the Holy Spirit's really wanting me to build a bridge or to really make amends or begin to apologize or forgive or, or really connect with this person or, or, or this larger group of people? How do I know if that's happening? Do, do you or do I, do I feel conviction in my heart? Do I feel like, hey, there's a need for change? There's a different way to think. There may be a purpose that Jesus has that's higher than mine. That's conviction. Then guidance is, okay, how do I do that? Show me the path. And that's what happened between Peter and Cornelius. And and it'll be be a similar function in our lives. What ends up happening is we take the truth of Jesus and the Holy Spirit turns it into an experience of Jesus. When I just take what Jesus wants me to do, what he says about people, and if I let that soften my heart enough to go have one conversation, then I'm going to experience a Jesus moment in that conversation. That's the work of the Holy Spirit. That's when he starts to really change what's going on in our minds. Here's here's the response of the people that were so critical a few verses before. I want to read this. It's uh, in verse um, verse 18. When they heard this, they became silent. And they glorified God, saying, So then God has given repentance, resulting in life, even to the Gentiles. Do you hear the tone that people are talking in? Even in the Gentiles. You, you went and ate with them. Can I just give you a statement that may be a little bit freeing, I hope? The person or the people that you have the biggest difficulty dealing with, it doesn't have to be a full change in you right away no more than it has to be a full change in them. 
this journey, those steps that we take, it's about chipping off a piece of that block a little bit at a time. Sometimes our, our conversations haven't caught up with what's going on in our heart yet. But it'll get there. The way we talk will change. The way we talk about someone will change as our heart changes. It's got to start on the inside before it actually gets to the outside. Um, later in chapter 11, it talks about this church in this place called Antioch. Um, it talks about the people that were scattered. Remember just like the, the idea of that seed going out? People that were scattered. It says that most of them only shared their faith in Jesus with other people that were like them, Jews. So that's really what we can probably say. Safe bet is that's probably human tendency, right? Like the, what, if you feel like something's, God's doing something in your life, who are you most likely to share it with? Probably the people that are the safest conversations. Maybe the people in your household. Maybe the people that you're friends with, you're in a small group with, you've done Bible study with before. We usually start with the people that are safest and maybe most like us. If I feel like God is really wanting me to change my heart about somebody I have an issue with, I don't usually go to them first. I usually talk to somebody that's, that's an easier conversation. But, but notice this. In verse 20 it says, But there were some of them who came to Antioch and began speaking to the Greeks also, and they proclaimed the good news about the Lord Jesus Christ. At some point, those bridges have to be built. Those conversations have to be extended. And at that moment, the same thing happened. People back in Jerusalem, they were like, what is going on? Can we trust this? What do we do? They hear about a contradiction, so they send, um, they send Barnabas, the son of encouragement who helped Saul so much. They send him to investigate, and, and this is what it says about him, verse 23. He sees evidence. When he arrived and saw the grace of God, he just saw some evidence in people's lives. He didn't know them. He didn't know if it was full change. There was no way that he could judge that. He, didn't even, he decided not to carry the responsibility of deciding how good of a Christian somebody else was. He just said, look, God, I recognize that you're doing something, and I want to be in agreement with you, so... He participated in agreement. He stayed. He worked with him. He went and got Saul, who's going to become Paul. He brings him over there so there's somebody else that can work with them and minister to them and disciple them and make disciples and challenge them and preach to them and teach to them and explain things. And they stayed for a while. They stayed for about a year. That's the process. And, and I, don't know, I don't know who it is that maybe in life you really, you really have a difficult time with. But if you're breathing, if you're human, it's somebody. And I would even say this, most likely if it's a person or a couple of people or a family, probably something happened that you're correct about. It hurt. It did hurt. It wasn't fair. It wasn't kind. It wasn't right. Sometimes it's a bigger group of people and it's, it's really from a difference of perspective. We don't understand who they are because they don't understand who we are and we just see that as a big distance between us that's almost insurmountable. But the gospel calls us to make, disciple, to make disciples of all nations, to go to all people. And in the category of all, it's a lot. And in our life, some of the ways that we can really experience Jesus' moments is to take the truth that Jesus tells us about how we need to really connect with someone and begin to have our heart changed towards them and really go to them one-on-one. If we see a contradiction in us or in them, and I don't mean contradiction negatively, I mean something positive, like we see something going on. 
to go and investigate it and have a conversation. And if we see evidence, take the serious time to really think about, God, if I see you working, if I see evidence of you, am I willing to participate in agreement with what's going on? In other words, am I willing to take another step forward? Am I willing to involve myself a little bit more, relying on you, not me and not them, but relying on you and what you're doing? As, as Peter, one of, the, one of the prominent leaders in the church, he needed to really wrestle through with some real issues of life when it came to dealing with people. And as the church, as the people of God, we'll never get beyond needing to wrestle with some major questions and major issues in our life when it comes to dealing with people. God isn't insensitive to the hurt that you or I carry. He's not tolerant of people's sin and bad behavior. But the gospel, as it works in people's lives, is wanting to bring people to Jesus and, and as a byproduct of that, together side by side. It's going to be a messy process. It's going to be some wrestling nights. It's going to be some sleepless nights. It's going to be really going to God and really asking Him some, some hard questions. It's going to be about listening, and it's going to be about looking in. It's going to be fighting our skepticism, fighting our anger, fighting our hurt. It's, it's going to be a lot of that stuff. But can I tell you this? God is working towards this in such a significant way. The burden that you and I have carried for so long about someone else was never meant to be our burden to carry. God wants us to be able to operate in more freedom than that. And really bring that and cast that care on Him. And watch Him work and let Him speak and let Him show us. So that we'll have the conviction and the boldness to not say, i got to change everything about me or they need to change everything about them. No, I'm just, I'm just going to operate in agreement with God. I'm going to operate in agreement with Him. I've had a tough time with this at different seasons in my life because the hurt has been real. But real gospel change in relationships, I have found, is always worth it. And it defies the logic of what I would have created on my own. And I believe is worth our time and investment. Would you bow your heads for just a second? If you're at home, if you will, just kind of and bring in your thoughts to just a really focused time right now. I want to I encourage you. Because relationships and these things we're talking about are, are significant. So I really want to ask you to pray over beginning today, if you haven't already begun, that person, that, that couple, that family, that larger group of people, and maybe it's represented, it's been represented in the past by a whole church congregation or, or a group that you work with or just a, a different perspective, a different lifestyle that you've seen in culture or in media. Begin to really pray over that from the perspective of really saying, okay, God, what can I see that you can show me that is different than my anger or my frustration or my bias or my feelings. God, what is, what is different? What is a contradiction that, that would show evidence that you're doing something? And God, give me the passion to not be satisfied just with separation, but God, to really seek you and, and begin to seek them and investigate, to look and to listen more intentionally. God, while I seek you, 
to know for sure what you're up to. And, and, and God, if you show me evidence or give me the boldness to be able to, to, be able to really live in agreement with you, to participate in agreement, to, to take that next step into conversations and be open for, for the change that may be happening in their life, Lord, like, like I'm open for the change to happen in mine. To trust that, that God wouldn't just redeem me, but he would redeem them as well. And redemption is not by percentage. It's a full heart given to Christ. And it's a life that is changed over a journey with him. And we'll never know the full picture of what God's doing unless we dive into those situations. So, Lord, help me. Because most days I just don't want to. And I wake up without the desire to do this kind of work with you. My prayer is and my ask is, is that you would do that because that's, that's been my prayer and, and, and my, my thoughts even into my own life as I've really asked God to just open my heart and open my eyes to begin this process, to see the contradictions, to have the boldness to investigate, to, to, to be able to take evidence for just what it is and that it's God and to not just look at someone else, but really to trust Him and ultimately to, to really walk in agreement with the Spirit, to not be in the way, to not hinder, to not stand against what God is doing. Because the Jesus in you and the Jesus in me, if we're saved, is a person. And that's where our conversations the influence needs to come from. Lord, help us as we sing in this song, as we take this time to pray. Lord, I, I ask, Lord, that you will work mightily in our hearts. Lord, work in gospel-centered ways to bring the change in us that will ultimately change the world around us. God, help us to not sit and just be stuck in a place to where we just, we think, God, our, 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 our mind could never change about someone. Lord, help us to be open. And, and God, help us to receive your word and be guided by your spirit in a way that we can make changes and, and we can see change in us that we never really thought needed to happen or, or was even possible. God, so that we could see the great change that you're doing in others. Lord, you know that our hearts hurt and, and this is not easy. So God, we just, God, we can just begin humbly with you just to, just to open our hearts to you. Lord, that can just be the first step. God, in the hopes and the expectations that you're going to do mighty and great things. Lord, we realize we want, to, we want to have healthy expectations. We realize you may not change every circumstance and change our opinions in an instant. But God, over, over days and weeks and months and years, Lord, there's things that we could give testimony to you on the other side and about you of what you've done. God, that would literally change the world around us because a lost world doesn't believe that people so far apart could ever come together under one purpose and that purpose is the gospel of Jesus Christ so Lord what you're doing in our hearts help us now in Jesus name we pray amen